Good morning. My name is Linda Keller, and I will be sharing the scripture with you today. We'll be reading from Matthew 26, 17 through 29, and you can find that in your pew Bible on page 832. If some of you children in here would like to take that pew Bible and look it up, turn to page 832. Now on the first day of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus saying, where will you have us, have us prepare for you to eat the Passover? And he said, go into the city to a certain man and say to him, the teacher says my time is at hand. I will keep the Passover at your house with my disciples. And the disciples did as Jesus had directed them and they prepared the Passover. When it was evening, he reclined at table with the 12. And as they were eating, he said, truly I say to you, one of you will betray me. And they were very sorrowful and began to say to him one after another, is it I, Lord? And he answered, he who has dipped his hand in the dish with me will betray me. The Son of Man goes as it is written, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. Judas, who would betray him, answered, Is it I, Rabbi? And he said to him, You have said so. Now as they were eating, Jesus took bread, and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. This is the word of the Lord. All right, parents, I promise it's worth it. Hang in there. Hey, let me pray for us one more time, kids, and then uh, we'll jump into this passage. Jesus, thank you for speaking to us. Thanks for this meal that you uh, made sense out of from the Old Testament that you gave new meaning to, that you point to in the future. Uh, there's so much here that you want to invite us to. You actually say that we should take you, and unless we eat of you and drink of you, we have no part of you. So this is an invitation to faith and trust, and so I ask that you would stir faith and trust in the room? Uh, would you speak to people? Would you comfort them? Would you remind them of your grace and goodness? Uh, would you help us to understand? And would you help us to respond? We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, hey, today, if my math is right, is Sermon 100 in our series in Matthew. And uh, we're going to finish today. And some of you guys are going, hey, Pastor Chris, you're in chapter 26. You turn the page. There's actually still a couple more chapters. Uh, let me explain. 
when we were walking through this a few months ago, we came to the beginning of the what's called Holy Week. It starts with Jesus' triumphal entry earlier in Matthew. We read that, happened to time up on Palm Sunday, which is when we celebrate that. And so we thought, what if we actually read the events of Holy Week during that week so that we would come into Matthew 28 on the Resurrection Sunday and celebrate that at Easter? So that was our plan, and we actually read uh, the rest of chapter 26 and 27 at the Good Friday service, which is the kind of uh, time when we actually remember the sacrifice of Jesus. What, what, what's good about Good Friday is not what happened there and the, the pain that's there, but what was accomplished there for us as Jesus died in our place. And so in a lot of ways, we've, we've already looked forward to the way the book ends. And another way that we can think about this is that this meal that Jesus talks about actually summarizes what is going on in the rest of chapter 26 and 27 and even the good news of chapter 28. This communion meal, this Passover meal, this future meal that Jesus establishes here is pointing to the very center of Christianity. So maybe this is your very first time with us or kids, you've been down in in Hope Kids and you're not quite sure where we are in the book of Matthew. The good news is that today really is a summary of all of the Christian faith. What happens in this passage is Jesus explaining not just what's going to take place in the next few chapters, but what's at the center of the universe. God's love and his plan for his people to make a way for them to be rescued and forgiven and set free. And I love that it's around a meal. You might look at me and decide that I actually love meals. But I love that there's a meal here that's a table that people are gathered around. Think about sustaining things, nourishing things, things that smell, things that actually delight you, and an invitation to come and participate. So I love that we kind of cap our series in this space, even if it's not conventional, it is on purpose. And I want to unpack this. There's really three meals in this text. There's the Passover meal that he references in the past. There's the communion meal that he establishes. And then he references a future meal later on in the kingdom. Did you catch that in verse 29? He says, I won't drink from this fruit again until I'm with you in the Father's kingdom. It's a reference to what we read in the book of Revelation. So kids, this is about three meals. So maybe if you're drawing a, a picture this morning, you could draw maybe whatever is your favorite food at a meal. You could draw a big table, but put at the center of that meal a loaf of bread and a cup representing the body of Jesus and his blood that was shed. But, but go ahead and draw a meal maybe while we're talking and taking some notes to think through how to engage this passage because Jesus uses this moment to explain why he actually came. So with these three meals, we're going to talk about a meal that explains, a meal that sustains, and a meal that aims. Come on. Kids, I never do that. So so we have an explains, a sustains, and an aims. Kids, would you try it with me? Would you try? Explains, sustains, aims. Maybe just one more time for your parents. It explains, sustains, and aims. He's going to look backwards to a meal they've been celebrating for over a thousand years to give explanation to what Jesus came to do. And then he's going to describe a meal that actually sustains the followers of Jesus as they remember what he came to accomplish. And all of that aims our hearts to the future to give us hope that one day we'll finally be reunited with Jesus. So, so I love what's happening in this passage. Let's first look at this idea of a meal from the past that explains. Look in verse 17 of chapter 26. It says, Now on the first day of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus and they said, Where will you have us prepare to eat the Passover? This is the meal from the past. 
And he said, I want you to go into the city and you'll find a certain man there and say to him, the teacher says, my time is at hand and I will keep the Passover at your house with my disciples. And the disciples did just like Jesus said and directed and everything was exactly the way he told them that it was going to be. And then they went ahead and prepared the Passover. So this is rooted in something that they've been celebrating for a long time. It's a, it's a kind of festival. It happened in the book of Exodus chapter 12 when God delivered his people from slavery. The Bible tells us that God's people had been enslaved for over 400 years. They were enslaved in Egypt and God came to deliver them. And as he delivers them, he instituted this meal. It had lots of rich meaning to it. One was this idea of passing over the judgment that they actually deserve. They were told to take a lamb and sacrifice it. They would put the blood of that lamb on the doorpost, which is kind of graphic or maybe strange, but it was a beautiful symbol of someone else dying in our place to make a way for us to be delivered and set free. So they did that on this night. God's death angel passes through. Anyone who had that sign on the doorpost was spared, and God delivered them. And then he told them, every year, I want you to do this same festival, the same Passover, because I want you to remember that I'm the God who came to deliver you. Kids, are you familiar with holidays and celebrations? Like, is there one coming up this week that you're thinking about? Anybody going to celebrate anything this week, kids? Fireworks, maybe? Going to be some food involved, maybe some of your family around? What are we celebrating on Tuesday? Does anybody know? The 4th of July. What's the meaning behind 4th of July? Why do we celebrate 4th of July? Does anybody know? Yes, Brian. There you go. We're celebrating our independence, right? So this huge celebration of our freedom. And so on this day, there will be huge celebrations. There'll be lots of food. There'll be fireworks. It's different, but kind of similar to this Passover meal. They were celebrating. It would be a huge deal. Lots of people would come into town. And in this moment, Jesus decides to explain why he came. It would be like there's this huge firework display in the background. A little bit of a stretch, but go with me for a second. Huge firework display in the background and someone giving a speech about freedom or independence. All of the imagery and what you've been celebrating would be loaded into that moment to give added meaning to it. This text says that when his time had actually come, Jesus had, had timed this thing perfectly so that at that moment when they're remembering the liberation and freedom and celebration of God delivering them, Jesus would say, this whole meal is about me. He's explaining what happened in the past as pointing to him. And they've been practicing for thousands of years this, this idea of God delivering them. Now, I don't know, kids, if your parents ever have you practice something, but, but the goal is not simply to practice it so that you can actually do it in real life. When our kids were little, we would actually practice looking somebody in the eye and shaking their hand and saying, it's good to meet you. My name is Elizabeth or my name is Lucas. And we would practice it at home. We would practice it with our friends so that when we were out in the wild, when we were out in the real world, our kids could look people in the eye. They could shake their hands and say, hello, my name is Lucas. My name is Elizabeth. It's good to meet you. But the goal wasn't just to practice that. It was so they could actually do it. The goal of practicing this for a thousand years isn't just to do Passover. It's not just to have the lamb. It's not just to have the big meal. It's to train our hearts to actually trust what it's pointing to. They, they were being trained to trust that God was the one who could deliver them. Because way different than our 4th of July and Independence celebration, 
The people didn't fight a big war and show their strength and power. God fought for them. They actually didn't do anything except receive, which is a beautiful explanation of the gospel and the good news of Christianity. So for a thousand years, they've been celebrating that God delivered them and set them free from slavery. And Jesus says, hey, I want to explain to you what all that was about. Because the Bible says that he was the Lamb of God who's going to come to deliver his people. And the scriptures even say that before the the world even began, the Lamb was slain, meaning this was always God's plan. And so just notice this. Jesus times this thing perfectly where everything comes together to show and explain the good news of his deliverance that's about to be accomplished. So, So there's a meal here that explains. And then it actually sustains us. So drop down to verse 26. As they were eating, Jesus took the bread, and this would have been at every meal there. And after blessing it, he broke it, and he gave it to the disciples, and he said, Take and eat this. This is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. And I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it anew with you in my Father's kingdom." So Jesus stands there in this historic moment with this backdrop of God's deliverance from slavery, and then he redefines some things. At that Passover meal, historians tell us that the host of the meal, probably like the oldest male, would would stand up and would explain what's going on at the meal. He would talk about how the meat was roasted. He would explain things like bitter herbs and how they represented the slavery that they were in. He would would give meaning to this whole ceremony and explain that. Maybe you've been part of what's called a Seder meal. That's what's going on in these moments. And if someone has ever hosted a Seder meal for you, they've explained the different pieces. So the host gives meaning to what's happening. Jesus is the host of this meal. And as his disciples are gathering around, they're expecting him to rehearse the story of the Exodus account and the Passover. And what he does instead is gives new meaning to this image of deliverance. And he holds up a piece of bread. Rather than bitter herbs and talking about Pharaoh, he says, this bread represents my body. I want you to take it and I want you to actually consume it. I want you to, to trust it. I want you to take it. I want it to become part of you. It's going to represent my broken body. And then he holds up a cup that's full of wine, kind of the color of blood. And he says, this cup is the covenant of my blood, which is going to be shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. And so he gives meaning to this bread and this wine that we celebrate every Sunday as we have communion together. And it's a meal that actually reminds God's people the same way the Passover reminded them of the Exodus account of being freed from slaves in Egypt. Reminds him of what Jesus came to do, and it's meant to sustain you. So kids, have you ever been like super hungry and super thirsty, and you finally either go through a drive-thru or you sit down at a meal and you get something in your body, just how much better you feel almost instantly, right? And that idea here, Jesus uses a meal to tell us lots of things, but one of them is that God designs and intends to sustain and satisfy us. There's a passage in Isaiah 55. I don't know if you caught this. It says here, like, it's, the Son of Man is going to go just as it's written about him. So the Old Testament prophesied even about this. So Isaiah 55 tells us, come, all you who are thirsty. Come, come and drink. Come, come and have something without paying for it. Come and eat without buying it. And why would you look at something else that can't satisfy? Come to the one true God who could actually satisfy your hunger 
and your thirst. And so Jesus uses this meal to say to people, I'm the one who can actually satisfy. And it happens in his sacrifice. His body is going to be broken. He's been telling his disciples this is going to happen, that he's going to die. And so now he's telling them, hey, when I die on the cross, that is the moment that I'm reinstituting this new covenant. Because the Old Testament told us that there would be a new covenant. The problem with the Old Covenant was that we broke it, Jeremiah 31 says. Because we couldn't keep up our end, we needed a new covenant. And the covenant happened when Jesus took all the weight on himself. There was nothing for us to do except to receive. The same way these slaves coming out of Egypt just followed God and obeyed him. They just trusted him and went with him. They didn't fight or earn it or deserve it. That same way this meal represents Jesus doing all the work. His body is broken and his blood is shed. And it says that his, his blood is poured out for many. So there's an invitation to everybody in the room and everybody that you know to come and hear the good news of Jesus, to come and hear and respond. Everyone is invited to this meal. And it's a meal that represents the forgiveness of sins. What's broken about us or what's wrong with the world has lots of layers to it, but at the core of it is this rebellion against God that the Bible calls sin. It's what separates us from God and us from each other, even us from ourselves in a lot of ways. And Jesus says he's dying on the cross to pour out his blood to make a way for our sins to be forgiven. To actually have a way for you to be reconciled to God. That's a big word, kids, but it means things that are enemies are now brought back together and have become friends. And it happens as forgiveness takes place. And here's the great news of the Bible and the good news of Christianity is that God made a way for you to be forgiven apart from what you deserve or earn. Jesus is going to do all of this. It's his body. It's his blood. He's going to go to the cross. He just asks us to respond. The same way you would just like take in food or you would eat it and you would drink it. It's a symbol of, of by faith taking him and it becoming part of you. And it would actually sustain God's people and it provides a way for you to be forgiven. I don't know if you caught it, but this meal is in the backdrop of not just the Passover, but the betrayal of his disciples. Right before he talks about this meal, the passage says that Judas is going to betray him. And he, he just says to all the disciples that are sitting there, like this is going to go down in such a way that like you, you turn your backs on me. The next section, actually, we see him say that Peter, you're going to deny me. We see Thomas doubt later. What we see is that the very people that God came to love actually have betrayed him. They've turned away from him. It's a, it's a way of talking about the sin that all of us have committed. All of us together have committed this betrayal and this treason. So here's the great news. This communion meal is for people who know they need to be forgiven. For people who know that they've betrayed God. For people who, who know they're overwhelmed with their sin. The good news of Christianity is that the message of grace comes to all those who know they're broken. Who know they have need who are overwhelmed with anxiety, who are filled with fear, who have turned their backs on God, who have hurt other people, who, who struggle to believe, who have all kinds of doubt. In that space, what Jesus came to do is good news for you. And he offers, just like he did to his disciples, his broken body and his shed blood as a way for you to actually be forgiven. I just love the richness of this meal. He's sitting with people who he knows are going to hurt him and betray him, and he makes a way for them to be forgiven. And it wasn't just for those people. We're told that we should keep celebrating this meal. It's a, it's a representation for Christians of, of our faith in Jesus, that he died on the cross to forgive us of our sins, to make a way 
for us to be forgiven. And as we trust that, it sustains us, it changes us, it transforms us to put our hope in the one who actually came to die in our place. And Jesus says to his disciples, hey, the covenant I came to accomplish for you, I'm going to do through my own death. So he explains the Passover meal. He gives a new meal that sustains his followers. And then he aims their hearts to the future where they can have hope. Look in verse 29. He says, I tell you, I will not drink again of the fruit of this vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my father's kingdom. He's pointing to what the scriptures call the marriage supper of the lamb. Remember, Jesus stands in the space. There was a lamb that was sacrificed. Jesus says, I am that lamb. And so this marriage supper of the lamb is the place where Jesus, as the lamb of God, is united to his people perfectly and for forever. And the Bible describes it as a beautiful, elaborate wedding feast. Another amazing meal. And wedding meals are some of the best meals you can have. Right? There's so much celebration and joy and money spent. There's all kinds of things going into that to say, oh, these, these two are becoming one. We want to stop and celebrate that. How beautiful it is and what we learn about the heart of God for us in this moment that the way this thing ends is in God's people romantically being united to him. Him showing his love and grace to them. And not just in this life, but in the next for all of eternity. Jesus is aiming their hearts by reminding them of a third meal that's coming that will actually now bring about meaning and hope. It will provide more ways to sustain them. It will explain more of their existence. But it puts them in a space where they're looking forward with hope for what God came to accomplish. There's a ton in that text. There's a lot in this story. But the reason why we celebrate communion every week is so that we can remember We look back so we can ask for God to meet us right now in the present and sustain us. And we're declaring our hope in the future. And we celebrate this meal every week. And it's because we constantly need to be reminded. Because same way they struggle to believe, we struggle to believe. And so every Sunday I offer this meal to those who are trusting in Jesus. If you're a follower of Christ, I want to ask you to kind of step into this passage this morning in a particularly beautiful way and say, this is my hope. My only hope to be delivered from slavery and be forgiven from sin is the broken body of Christ and his shed blood on my behalf. That is where I'm placing all of my hope. And if that's you, I want to invite you to come and take this meal. There'll be people at each aisle, and there'll be a gluten-free station here in the middle. You'll tear a piece of the bread off representing the broken body of Jesus. And then you'll dip it in the cup representing his shed blood. And as you eat that, as you take that, let it represent your faith in Jesus and the nourishment of what he's accomplished for you through his sacrifice. Hey, kids, let me speak directly to you just for a moment. I'm so thankful you're in the room. I know some of these words you've understood, some of them might be kind of big words, but every Sunday I ask people who are trusting Jesus to do just what I just described there, to come and and take this meal. I also say, hey, if you're not yet trusting Jesus, we're really thankful that you're here, but stay in your seat and then just pray. Because the meal is for those who are already trusting in Jesus. So this might be a little bit confusing for some of you because I know a lot of you would say that you love Jesus. And you hear every Sunday down in Hope Kids about the beauty of what he's done for you. And so you would say, I I love Jesus. I want to follow him with my whole life. And that makes me really happy. I'm really, really thankful. And yet, if you've never taken communion before, this morning, I want to ask you that you would just tell your mom or dad or the parent that brought you or the adult that brought you, say, I think I'm ready to trust Jesus. 
And then they can let me know that, and then we can have a conversation this week about what it means to trust Christ. Because I want to take you really serious. I want to take your faith really serious and really honor you. But I don't want you to be confused or to feel pressure. And sometimes when everybody in the room is doing something, we can feel pressure to do it as well, whether or not we really understand. And I would love just to honor you and slow down to take some time to hear what's going through your mind, what you are trusting, some of your story. And we could talk about what it means to trust Jesus. So, so kids, if you never take communion this morning, I'm going to ask you not to come this morning to take it for the very first time. But turn to your mom and dad. Let them pray for you. Um, and then we can have a conversation real soon about what it means to trust in Christ. And as I'm saying that to kids, if you're in the room and you're not a follower of Jesus, I really am thankful that you're here. That same invitation is to you. I would love to talk with you about what it means to trust Christ. Anybody on our staff would love to explain further this meal and what's behind it and the hope that Jesus has for us. Because what he did in this moment as he died on the cross with his broken body and shed blood changed everything about your past, about your present, and about your future. I'd love to share more with you if that's where you are. If you're not ready yet, though, to take communion, there's some prayers in the back of your bulletin that will give you some examples of what it would sound like to pray and talk to God for a moment. So I want to actually now kind of open up this meal. So would you bow your heads with me for a second? Let me just pray for us. If you're trusting Christ, I want to ask you to come and take communion to think about what's been explained, how we can be sustained, and let our hearts be aimed. But Jesus, would you come now in this space, stir faith among your people, help us to trust you, Thank you for your sacrifice, for the way that it made it possible for us to be forgiven and set free and forgiven. And now would you help us to actually move towards you in faith and in confidence. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, if you're a follower of Christ, come take communion when you're ready. Kids, you can ask for your parents to pray for you as well.